good morning to you. Welcome into the programme today with some concerns coming in from Loch Ray today. I've come across the worst of animal abuse, I have to say. We unearthed that over the weekend. Today also we'll look at tidal pools for Galway. We're looking and speaking about that regional startup summit that you heard about on news. And much more between now and 12 midday. If you want to get in contact with us, we'd love to hear from you. 086 38 33 55 3. With thanks to Rationale Windows. That's 086 38 33 55 3. Good morning to you. Welcome in to today's programme. All of those comment lines are open if you do want to get through to us. Uh, we got a statement in over the weekend which arrived um, and it was signed by Kieran Cannon, uh, Cahirik Michael Mogi Maher and Councillor Shane Curley. And today we have been made aware that O'Dee's Hotel in Loch Ray has been identified as a facility to accommodate a number of Ukrainian families for the next 12 months. The facility will be managed by a very experienced property management company, the same company that is hosting Ukrainian refugees at the Mercy Convents in Loch Ray and Gort, and also in the Eskeridentrist Monastery. We're informed that O'Dee's Hotel will accommodate approximately 120 people, predominantly women and children, who have uh, recently arrived in Ireland as part of the ongoing migration of vulnerable people. People fleeing the horrors of the war in Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine. Now it goes on from there. All of the local communities in Lockray, Gorton, Esker have been especially supportive, and it goes on from there. But there is some concerns because there's some negative rhetoric during the rounds. But I'm joined on the on the line by uh, Deputy Kieran Cannon. Kieran, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. There's a little bit of a howl around there with you, so there's, but uh, there is a little bit of negativity during the rounds in Lockray. Um, the situation is, I mean, 120 people, 12 months, Odis Hotel, the asset has been used. Yes, the asset has been used, Keith. Um, le- certainly in the early part of last week, um, a lot of um, discussion was being had on social media. And I think that's one of the more positive aspects of social media and that people uh, can, you know, communicate with another freely and share information freely. And a lot of that information that was being shared um, was referring to the fact that there was work ongoing in OD's hotel, which has been closed now for a long number of years, uh, and that there was an expectation that refugees would be accommodated in in the hotel. So late last week, uh, as you said earlier on, Councillor Michael Mogi Maher, Councillor Shane Curley and myself, we began just communicating with one another to see had we received any information as to uh, who, who was arriving, who was going to be accommodated in OD's, and we hadn't. And then on Thursday afternoon, we, it was finally confirmed to us, as, exactly as you describe, that there were 120 people from uh, Ukraine, um, part of the ongoing migration of people from the war-torn Ukraine, uh, coming to Lockray. And uh, the same company who had previously worked in hosting them in both the Mercy Commons in, in Gort and Lockray, and indeed in the Old Redemptorist Monastery in Esker, the same company was being uh, contracted to accommodate the Ukrainian families in OD's hotel. Um, they would be arriving together um, in the next week to two weeks, um, not arriving together because that's been the nature of the other uh, accommodation centres where families begin to arrive kind of in, in family units uh, and ultimately over time we will see roughly uh, 120 people accommodated in ODs. Okay, now the situation is, I mean, there's been objections yesterday in Watford uh, in relation to a similar um, facility being put in place. Do, do you think that people have reached breaking points when it comes to 
others coming into our country and being facilitated when some of our own indigenous homeless people have been homeless for nearly a year at this stage? There's certainly, Keith, um, I mean, if you look at the success of what has already happened in Loch and Gort and Esker and indeed in similar locations across the country, um, Irish communities throwing open um, their local uh, accommodation centres in, in many instances, including in my own home parish of uh, Kiltullah, Kilimer Daly, um, private homes being made available to Ukrainian families. There's been a wonderful, um, very positive reaching out of support and kindness and care to people who are fleeing horrific circumstances and mm. even there late last week we saw um you know a mass deportation essentially of ukrainian nationals um out of eastern ukraine to places Russia, yet unknown yeah. in russia families yeah. children being moved against their will um by the russian the russian uh, state so uh, i think we can be exceptionally proud of what we've done over the last year. We've accommodated just under 75,000 people from Ukraine. And Keith, we can expect that we will need to accommodate even more in the coming months. So it's places like OD's and places like that uh, hotel and whatever that are going to be used for exactly that. But we've also made it very clear, and the, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar speaking in the Dáil last week made it very clear, that we're close to full in terms of the accommodation centres that are available to yeah. us. And he, he specifically said we cannot guarantee, guarantee accommodation for everyone who wants to come to our country unannounced. Um, and the state is now asking people who are considering seeking refuge in Ireland, but are currently in a place of relative safety and have somewhere to live, not to travel to Ireland at this time. Because I know from speaking to uh, Ministers Roderick O'Gorman, Ministers Joe O'Brien, they, the resources that are now available to them in, in, in terms of beds, in terms of places to live and places to stay, are becoming exceptionally limited. So what yeah. we're saying is um, the Department of, of Children Equality Integration issued its own statement last week so, saying that at this point in time, we can't guarantee accommodation to single adult men, single adult women or adult couples without children. And we're going to have to continue to prioritise families with children. And that's exactly what's happening okay. in Loch Ray. My, my understanding is that's what's happening in Waterford. And indeed, you're right, Keith. I mean, I spoke at our parliamentary party meeting last week uh, because even there on, on Wednesday evening, um, a lot of the, and it was inaccurate information circulating around Loch Ray about who exactly was being accommodated and ODs needed to be addressed. And I made the point that we need to talk to communities um, early on in this process of identifying locations. And Eamon Ryan, even referring to the Lismore um, Hotel uh, late last week, he said we, there would have to be more consultation with local communities about the placement of new arrivals okay. in their localities. So that that's important, Keith, that that consultation takes place so that people feel they are part of the decision-making process rather than at or removed from it. And that's critically important. Okay, I mean, it did cost, um, the Uxarad situation did cost your colleague John Kine his seat in the area. I mean, Well, the Uxarad situation has been very much to the forefront of my mind uh, over the last number of months. Um, you know, um, my colleague Sean Kine, fantastic public representative, um, through no fault of his own, through simply supporting uh, uh, government policy as it was and as it is right now to accommodate um, asylum seekers from across the world. It had a huge impact uh, on him uh, personally, um, and I know from speaking to him, um, you know, it, it really, um, he was very much 
just you know really challenged by that you know and it, it was deeply unfair that he was singled out somehow and um, when all he was doing was doing his job as a government minister at the time implementing government policy and doing and doing our best to accommodate and support okay. people who are coming from really difficult circumstances so, around the world very and 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 you know Keith, all of our communities have been extraordinary i mean i i I would work now pretty closely with two community groups in this general locality who have been working to support Ukrainian refugees. And what they have done in terms of organizing school transport, school places, organizing toys, organizing you know laptops uh, for, for people who want to work remotely, organizing jobs, um, you know, it's been just phenomenal. And in fairness, Heather Humphreys, Keith, last week, announced a new funding scheme for communities that have been especially welcoming yeah. uh, and there's 3.2 okay. million of that money coming to 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 Scorby city and county so you look at places like Loch Ray, which which are uh, accommodating a significant number of Ukrainian refugees. We're going to see um, money invested now in Lockray's community facilities and our sports facilities and playgrounds um, okay. you know, public amenities that are going to be used an awful lot more in the future um, as a result of this additional additional population. So um, what, the go- what the government is saying, what Heather Humphrey's department is saying is you have bent over backwards, you have been exemplary in supporting um, Ukrainian families arriving into your community we're now going to support you. So okay. um, Mogi and Shane and I have already spoken extensively about how exactly um, that money can be used to the, the best possible effect in Loch Ray. I'm going to, I'll be visiting um, Loch Ray schools this morning uh, to talk with the principals there to see exactly what they need to be able to accommodate this additional influx of Ukrainians. Uh, and okay. we'll be working together, the three of us, to ensure that whatever Loch Ray needs to support refugees, Loch Ray will have. All right, Kieran Callan, thank you for joining us. Uh, Shane Curley, briefly, uh, Councillor Curley, you've, you've, you agree and the sentiment and everything else that um, Kieran Callan has spoken about there. Um, uh, Kieran mentioned children and mentioned the fact that, um, you know, that Loch Ray has opened up its homes to people already. Uh, St. Bridget's College had a musical there last week. Now, I sit on the main board of the GRETB, and I was so proud of ETB schools like St. Bridget's College, who brought young people into their schools, integrated them into the community, and we saw them acting on stage in the musical okay. or their sisters down in the crowd. That was really positive. So that is that is the message. We open up. We, we help people in their time of need. But there is a critical lack of resources in Lockray Town that needs to be urgently addressed, Keith. And, and it do you... existed before the Ukraine war. It, it, it did exist before the Ukraine war ever started, but it does need to urgently be addressed. Um, and there is also a little bit of a breakdown in communication somewhere in the department, Keith. On Monday, I asked the council whether or not they had any plans to house any refugees in uh, Odi's Hotel. They said no. Uh, later on that day, I got written confirmation from the department that, the department that neither IPAS nor the DCE DIY were going to bring Ukrainians to Loch Ray. I wasn't asking for any bad reason. I just wanted to know so that we could help them and we could get plans in place to help them once they arrived. We already have a lot of Ukrainians in Loch Ray. They're lovely people. There hasn't been an ounce of hassle from them. So that's the message we want to get across. But we do need better communication from Dublin, from the department, that local councillors on the ground aren't kept in the dark until the day that something is being announced and that they can have plans in place much earlier on. That is the message that I want to get across and this is to any TD up in Dublin who listens to me. We need more communication on the ground earlier in the process okay. so that we can get better plans in place. That's, that's my message now, is that we need better communication and we need it earlier. 
All right, uh, Shane, thank you for joining us uh, today. And again, I hope that the doors are thrown open in Lockray and that infrastructural money that Heather Humphreys was talking about uh, will be put to good use there as well. 9.22, we're back and some good news in the offing for swimmers. Galway Tours, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. A very good morning to you. Well, we had a great morning last uh, Friday in Johishka and a lovely letter in uh, from us now, as, uh, from them as well over the weekend. Um, and we're doing it all over again. We'll be in Hedford on Friday fortnight, uh, Friday week. It'll be now at this stage. Uh, but um, Johishka was very special. I listened back to it over the weekend. I had time to. Uh, but I listened back and all of the guests were there and all of the people and all the students and John talking to some of the people and we got a lovely poem when we left and we popped into the neighbourhood uh, restaurant for a bit of lunch afterwards and it was everything was just absolutely beautiful. So well done to all involved in that. And they've even invited us back in the summertime. You know, if you're invited back a second time, you must be doing Okay. Anyway, let me move on today because I got a message over the weekend that um, tidal pools in Salt Hill is something that we we need, but um, funding has been secured for a feasibility study into tidal pools. And the mayor of Galway uh, joins me on the line, and that mayor is uh, Clodagh Higgins, and she joins me on the line today. Mayor, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith, and good morning to your listeners. Tidal pools. Does this mean that when the tide comes in, it fills up the pool and keeps the water there? So, actually, for approximately 40 years ago, um, the tidal pools were in existence in Sawtill, um, Keith, and they were decommissioned uh, by the corporation at the time, and they were covered in with concrete. Uh, so, basically, um, the, this, the tender documents went live uh, for a feasibility study to be prepared in relation to, I suppose, uh, looking at the feasibility and design plan of the tidal pools and associated facilities at Ladies' Beach. And you might have recalled back in um, 20, early 2021, um, Stephen Tummins, uh, who, was, who swam the English Channel last year, and his cousins organised a petition online to get Galway City Council to restore the pools. And the lads reached out to me, and I've been working with Stephen mainly since, and of course the Recreational and Amenity Department at City Hall. So a great deal of work has gone into getting to this point, because obviously um, I had to try and secure uh, funding in the budget in order to to put money aside um, for the feasibility report. And uh, I was delighted that the PACT members uh, agreed to support my proposal in 22 and then um, obviously had to secure further funding again this year. So that's now resulted in this project uh, going out to tender and it really is such a positive news story, um, I guess, for Sawtill and indeed, as you said, the swimmers because uh, we all know that swimming has become so popular and when you consider the thriving swimming community we have here in Sawtill, it really does make sense on so many levels to reintroduce uh, the pools again. It does. And again, so when the tide comes in, then go back to my original question, does it fill up the pool? And then as, as so people can um, swim in, in a swimming pool in tidal water and when the tide goes out again, then it empties. That's basically it, uh, Keith. So it provides a safe, enclosed swimming area uh, for, for people to, to swim in. And I suppose it'll appeal to, it has broad appeal in the sense that uh, it'll appeal to recreational swimmers, but also to children and adults learning how to swim, or even people that are uh, weak swimmers or nervous swimmers. 
But this report um, is going to actually explore the potential for the maximum size tidal pool that could be accommodated there. And it's hoped that a 50 metre one could be accommodated because that would really ensure that it would get most use because it would uh, appeal to those women competitively and obviously water polo, triathlon training, lifeguard training and water safety training as well. So it really does have broad appeal, you know. So well done. So feasibility study is next. How long will it take to get that through the system? So it's assumed that it'll take in the region of about six months to complete, um, simply because there's a lot of work involved, uh, because there'll be obviously... um, uh, analysis of current tidal waves, etc. And um, obviously then there'll be a lot of uh, stakeholder consultation, um, economic and social analysis, surveys, and there's lots involved in it, but it's expected it'll take in the region of six months to complete. And then if you had a crystal ball, how long after that then would there be an operation if it's a positive result from the feasibility study? I guess, yes, um, we'll have to look for funding now. I was in touch with Donegal Council and they have regenerated their tidal pools and they availed of European funding and sports partnership grant funding and so forth. So I guess once we have the feasibility report complete, it'll give us an idea of how much funding is required and what's the roadmap forward, you know. All right, thank you for joining us uh, today, Mayor. So six months we'll put in the diary. Come back to you and uh, see from there, but we'll talk to you a lot between now and then. Mayor Claude Higgins, thank you for joining us in relation to those tidal pools. Hi, Keith. Uh, Kieran avoided your question about Irish homeless people. It's um, ridiculous, this caller said. Now, the caller said, uh, Keith, does Kieran think it's okay that people living around ODs were not informed or consulted about these 120 people that are landing on our doorstep? Fantastic COD's hotel being put to good use. Those families lucky enough to get refuge there uh, are not here by choice but are fleeing a terrible conflict and there will always be a few disgruntled people no matter what uh, is being done but the vast majority of people in Ireland have done so much to help people coming in and I'm sure they will do it all over again. So this is Vincent Conway from Lockray. Vincent, thank you for that. Now, another issue came across our desk as well over the weekend. I want to go to Eamon O'Grieve, TD, who joins me on the line because... Uh, he's got, under freedom of information and other methods, he's got some details when it comes to railway lines in the west of Ireland and in nationally as well. And he joins you on the line today. Eamon, good morning to you. Hey. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Now, just you got the figures for all of the railway lines in the country and the busiest railway line in the country currently that's bucking the trend with rapid growth, um, again, is where? Well... The question I asked is, compared to 2019, because there's no point in talking about rail figures in 2020 and 2021 because of COVID, yeah. had there been an increase or a decrease in railway usage between 2019 and 2022? And what I got back was that in the round, there was a 25 to 30% decrease on all railway lines across the country. Intercity was down 25%. Commuter down 35%, DART down 26%. I asked a separate question. I asked, were there any railway lines that showed an increase? And what was extraordinary was that Cork Middleton were in third place with 1.4%. Dublin Tralee were in uh, second place with an increase of 1.6%. 
But Limerick Galway had a 14.4% increase in passengers at a time that all the other railway lines together have dropped somewhere between 25 and 30%. This is an absolutely fantastic result. It's a very good result for the West, particularly when we take into account the lack of services on that particular line. There's only five services, return services a day, uh, and also the slow slower than needed to be okay. uh, line speed. So the 14.4% of an increase on the Global Limerick line is based on a very small number of services. It, it, well, it's based on all the services that are there. Yeah. But what we do know is, what we do know is, but it's a small the more base. service you had, well, it would have been from a relatively small base, that's correct. Yeah. But what we also know is, and this is very, very telling, that uh, when you increase the number of services, normally the number of passengers grows very, very rapidly. Uh, what we also know is that they've had to, and uh, this has been anecdotal, but we now have the figures, uh, they've had to add carriages to the trains. So there's four carriages on a lot of the trains now where there were two carriages before. So what we have seen is rapid, rapid growth on the passenger base on this railway line at a time that collectively all of the railway lines were declining in patronage because of the aftermath of COVID. So this shows that this line is viable. And what it also proves is that if you went to, say, 10 services each way a day, that you would get a really rapid further increase in the number of patrons. But if you're saying there's an overall um, reduction of 25% in rail patronage, from 2019 to 2022. And then the small amount that is coming from Galway to Limerick is up 14.4. Then you're saying that this strengthens the hand to open the Western Rail Corridor, say between Athen Rye and Clare Morris and onwards uh, from there. But it's not really scientific though. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong there. Well, it's absolutely scientific. But on a small number. Well... No, growth is growth, and like it's physically manifested. But reduction is uh, reduction as well, and it's twenty five percent reduction. No, no, but no, no. What I'm saying is, on all the other lines, you have to look at what I've just said. If we take across the country and you add up to Dublin, Galway, Dublin, Cork, Dublin, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, you're getting an average of decrease of twenty five percent. On this line, we're getting fourteen point four percent of an increase. That, that means that give or take, there's a forty percent better performance on this line, 40%, than on all the other lines taken together. Okay, but... And not only that, but singularly, compared to, for example, uh, all other lines, the only lines that were within uh, within 15% of them were Cork Middleton with a small growth and Dublin Tralee. So this line is going rapidly when the other lines, compared to 2019, were in a rapid decline. Now, of course, they will bounce back in time, but this one has not only bounced back, it's bounced forward rapidly. But can, I, can I park the rail for one second, if you don't mind? Uh, but I, I, I saw people queuing for the bus in my Cullen yesterday afternoon and a double-decker bus and 10, 20 people got on that. I mean, should we not be looking at putting bus services like that, double-decker bus services servicing the likes of Carroll Road, the likes of Clifton, the likes of Oak the Rard, the likes of Leenan, because people do want to get out of their cars and people didn't want to bring their cars into Galway yesterday so they got the bus uh, from Mulcullen. But I'm using that as an example. Should should we not focus on what we can do quickly 
rather than trying to get, and I'm not against the Athan Ride to Clare Morris line at all at all, it doesn't bother me, but could we not get the bus service right first? Well, I have been pursuing this relentlessly, uh, and I got a reply from the NTA, because I don't just follow one agenda all the time, as you can imagine, politicians are following a whole lot of agendas all the time, and yes, it came up consistently at the clinic meetings that people want uh, the facility uh, throughout the day to be able to travel in public transport. And whether it's rail or bus, they want them all. Because where there's growth, you provide the services. Now, what is becoming very, very obvious is that on the longer route, there is huge growth. So you're absolutely correct. Once we got the extra buses out to Carrow, and I campaigned very hard for that, and I was often on your show about that, yeah. uh, the growth grew very rapidly, and now we've got a problem that the buses are full going into Galway and full coming out in the evening, and people can't get on the buses, and uh, there isn't enough buses so that there'll be alternative if you miss one bus or one bus is full. So we need more buses. We need more buses on the McCullen route. Uh, I had a complaint over the weekend, and a very justified complaint, that the last bus leaving Galway that goes beyond Uchterard is at 6 o'clock in the evening. And I've constantly been pressing that one. Same thing at the Headford Road, same thing on the Clarenbridge Road, and so on into Galway. Okay. That's true, but that doesn't take away from the spectacular performance of the Galway-Limerick railway line and the fact that it proves that there are good train services in the West. You will get the patronage. And this is a really good news story for all of us who have campaigned for both road and rail good transport in the West. And it's not a question of one or the other. Uh, my understanding is there are new ICRs or uh, interstate rail carriages coming this year, and therefore it should be possible and we're meeting the chief executive of Ian Rodern, it should be possible to increase the frequency of the service to Galway-Limerick, put in trains earlier and later in the evening as well, and more trains at uh, commuter times, which will grow the patronage even again. And also, if we're looking, I mean, they're talking about uh, all sorts of projects in around Dublin that will take years and years and years to open. Within a very short time frame, as transport projects go, we could get the line from Atenray to Clermaris, which would link up Castlebar, Ballina, Westport, and so on, uh, straight into Galway. Mm. And we now know, provide the service, and particularly a good service, and you'll get the patronage on these lines. All right, Deputy Eamon O'Keefe, we will uh, throw it to the people and see what do you think? Would you like... Could we could could we bring back the, the Clifton line uh, going out to Clifton or are we going too far there altogether? Uh, your thoughts and comments though to the comment lines uh, 86 38 33 with thanks to Rationale Windows and uh, please get your comments into that. Uh, thank you Deputy Eamon O'Grieve uh, for joining us. A lovely story coming up just after 10 o'clock. Well it's a nasty story. It's a rotten story but it's to do with animal cruelty. Well, we have a lovely story coming up before this. If you are in hospital or on a ventilator uh, we'll be talking about that. Um, the story just after 10 o'clock is quite shocking, I have to say, when it comes to animal abuse. We came across it over the weekend and it's worse than shocking. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. 
9.41 this morning as a resident of Athenry. It's apparent to me that the real need in terms of uh, rail service is to quickly increase service from Athenry and Ornmore. We need a uh, double track as soon as possible also. Now, there was a study published uh, last Monday, the 23rd of uh, January 2023 uh, from University of Galway. And they found that high death rates in weaning intensive care patients from ventilation uh, needs to be discussed, but I'm joined by Professor John Laffey from the University of Galway and he did the research on the weaning of patients uh, from ventilation and he joins me on the line. Professor Laffey, good morning to you this morning. How are you today? Uh, good morning, Keith. I, I'm, I'm great, thank you. And thanks for the invitation to discuss the study. No problem. No, you're Professor of Anesthesia and Intensive Care Medicine at University of Galway, um, Medicine Uni- and Nursing and Healthcare. But, but, I mean, intensive care is intensive care. But with the weaning process, is there a concern in that regard? Uh, there, There is, um, uh, Keith, because uh, the weaning process is basically where we uh, gradually take somebody, uh, wean them off the invasive mechanical ventilation support. So when somebody is, has severe failure of their, of their breathing system, uh, the, the, the highest level of support that we give is to place them on a mechanical ventilator and they have, they're sedated yes. uh, and they have a tube put into their uh, throat to uh, permit ventilation. And this sustains them through the, the critical illness period. But then when they start to recover, we have to, as quickly as possible, uh, try to wean the patient back off the support, get them doing more of the work of the breathing and ultimately get them off the breathing machine. Is that difficult when they're under anaesthetic because you have to keep them sedated while they're there? I mean, I mean, do you have to check the oxygen levels to see if they're coming up naturally? I mean, it's, it's, it seems to be a very delicate process. It is, uh, it is, Keith, and you are balancing things because um, uh, we know, for example, that if you, uh, the longer a person is on the breathing machine, on the ventilator, uh, the, the, the harder it is to come off the ventilator, first of all, and second, they have more long-term uh, sort of consequences, like their, their quality of life at a year is directly proportional, for example, to how long they're on the ventilator. Now, some of that, of course, is due to the severity of their illness. Um, but there is a component which is due to how quickly and how uh, how well they're weaned from the ventilation. And sedation is an important component of that because, as you said, they, the person has to be sedated to tolerate the yeah. ventilation. Um, and then you're, but if, if patients are, if, if they uh, are over sedated, then that's a problem because that complicates the weaning because they have to be awake in order to come off the machine. So you're trying to balance those two things. You're trying to balance comfort uh, along with uh, having the patient awake enough that they can do the, they can start the work of the breathing. Now, the study that we're talking about today was across 50 countries. That's right. Yes, yeah. We did a stu- the study in collaboration with the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine and the European Respiratory Society, which are two big societies uh, in in the field. And we were uh, able to recruit uh, intensive carers, uh, over four hundred and eighty intensive carers, intensive care units across fifty countries to the study. So it's a big study. It's the biggest of its kind. Uh, it must have taken some quite a bit of time to pull all this together. Yes, I mean, we've been working on this for about five years. 
so we actually started wow. this uh, well before COVID, and uh, um, and then the process of recruiting intensive care units took about a year, and then the the recruitment process uh, was was a was a one month period. They could take they could recruit within within a window uh, in in 2018. And again, because it is such a delicate process, do some people not survive? Unfortunately, that is the case. I mean, what we looked at were, Keith, were people who uh, needed to be on the breathing machine for at least two full days. Uh, so there's a component of people who are, need a breathing machine for a very short period. Uh, for example, if they have major surgery would be a good example. And they can come off the breathing machine quite quickly. Uh, and But there's then a component where their illness is longer. Uh, and where they have conditions like they may be older or more frail or have comorbidity comorbid conditions uh, that mean the process of getting them off the ventilator is tricky and in the group that needed it for two days over a third of them never came off the ventilator wow never yeah never came off they 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 they, they either uh passed away while on the ventilator um or were transferred from the intensive care unit uh to some countries have these dedicated weaning facilities uh, and they would have been transferred there. But the, the majority, unfortunately, did die in the intensive care unit. So is it a case then that the body then shuts down that part of the brain or otherwise that makes sure that we're breathing all the time because the machine is doing it? So what happens mainly is that the, the, you know, the, the body deconditions while you're on the ventilator. So yeah. if you think about it, the breathing muscles and your heart muscles, they're the two muscles that start from the minute you're born, right, to, to, to when you die. And so when we take over the breathing for the first time, you know, uh, in, in that person's life, uh, there's somebody else doing the work of the breathing, our machine doing the work of breathing. So those muscles are rested for the first time. And then, like any muscle, they decondition. Now, what we know is that because they're, they're not really built for that, those muscles, they decondition really fast. Uh, and, and so as soon as we have a patient who's through the acute part of their critical illness, we have to then switch our minds very quickly to getting that breathing support reduced as quickly as possible and get those muscles back working. It's like they're basically like any other muscles, but they decondition even faster than most. And can you stimulate those muscles? Maybe I'm watching too many TV programs, by the way, but can you stimulate those muscles if, if they're slow to, to restart? You can in in certain situations. I mean, they we, there are there are different sort of approaches. Like people will try to stimulate the diaphragm, for example. So, uh, and and try to aid it that way. But the that's still kind of a a research approach, if you like. It's not proven to really yet improve um, sort of you know uh, the success rates in weaning. Now there is there is you know there is hope that that would ultimately be be an approach that might help. It's fascinating, so it is. Where can they get further details on this, can I ask you, Professor? Because it is a fascinating study and I suppose we, we think of a lot of people when they go in and they're in intensive care and they're on the, they're on the um, machine and it's breathing for them and you say, thank God they're with us and they're going to survive this. But then from a medical point of view, you just explained to us that coming off it can be very dangerous. Yes, I mean, that is one of the things always when we're putting somebody on a breathing machine, like we will talk to them and their families about, 
you know that uh, there, are, there it can be tricky to put somebody on the machine, uh, and it can be difficult to get somebody back off the machine. And 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 that's a conversation we try to have as much as possible, uh, you know, before we start the process because it it does it, it. I mean, the machine does support life. It, it is it's it's an incredibly important piece of equipment, um, but it does bring with it, um, you know, these these problems down the mm. tracks of trying to get somebody back off the machine. And that, that and person, the, fine, the, yeah, yeah. sorry, go on. I was going to say, the study is published in Lancet Respiratory Medicine and uh, the European Society, uh, the European Respiratory Society will be doing podcasts on it. So, so people can, you know, either read the study itself or, or get more um, sort of user-friendly uh, information regarding the study. Well done. Thank you so much for taking our call on a busy morning. For, uh, Professor John Laffey, uh, thank you for joining us. Professor of Esteem... Uh, I always get that wrong. Anyway, I won't even go there, so I won't. Anesthesia and intensive care medicine at Galway University Hospital. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Briefly, let me go to the Mycullen Bypass because um, I was in Mycullen yesterday and I have to say that the bypass is really coming along very quickly. But there are going to be some uh, traffic delays and um, Senator Sean Kine, good morning, Sean. Uh, there, are good to, there are going to be some traffic delays. What is happening? They're going tarmacking the roundabouts that are not on the N59, they're part of the new, the new setup. Yeah, there, there'll be roundabouts on either end, uh, so they'll be tarmacking uh, those roundabouts starting at Clyde um, this week, probably from Wednesday or, or, or afterwards. Um, and I suppose most importantly then from the week after that, so uh, next week, either from the sort of the 7th or the 9th, there will be traffic restrictions uh, in Mycullen for a number of weeks and um, this will be 24-7 lights. So um, it's it, the works that will be carried out will involve tying in uh, the existing N59 into the bypass roundabout. So this will involve uh, lane closures, single lanes, um, ex- excavation works, um, and then they'll be... Once they'll be doing, doing that, they'll be continuing the tarmacking on the um, on the on the on the bypass roundabouts, and they'll be diverting traffic over onto the roundabouts to complete those works. They'll also have to do the tie-in at Connemara Motors there near Brendan Farties. Once upon a time there, that work will be done, and when that's complete, then as well, uh, they'll be transferring over to the other side of the village over to Drim Kong. So unfortunately, it is um, well, it's absolutely necessary to do this work, uh, uh, but it will involve, as I said, lane closures and some. So are you saying that they'll be putting in the roundabouts that are not on the N59, that you can see from the N59, will they be putting those into use while they do other work on the N59, is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, they're putting, they'll be putting those um, uh, roundabouts into use, um, as I said, over the, over the coming uh, weeks uh, and months, um, and they'll be diverting traffic onto those as they complete the tie-in works. Uh, so um, the tie-in to the existing N59 at Clydia, and followed by that, the existing N59 at Trim Kong on the other side of the village. Um, so the, the roundabouts will be in use, but the bypass itself is obviously still not complete. There's still a number of months left on complete to complete the bypass. Um, it's suspected it will be sort of late um, August, September before that work 
uh, will be complete. But I suppose the most important message is, unfortunately, there will be necessary uh, lane closures and traffic delays from next week, uh, which will result in in, in delays. The uh, the team there, the contractors, will be prioritising, obviously, morning traffic. They'll be giving priority to traffic coming from my colour into Galway. And on the way home, then, from sort of three o'clock on, uh, they'll be prioritising traffic uh, heading uh, towards um, Uthrard, uh, Clifton uh, direction. So they will be trying to manage people uh, traffic, uh, but I just ask people to be to be you know respectful to to uh, to, to to flagmen if they're on if they're on uh, there. Um, we don't um, you know we don't we don't need any of the hassle that we had previously in terms of you know people breaking the lights and causing even worse uh, traffic congestion. So just be be mindful and respectful uh, of the traffic management that is necessary. Um, this work cannot be done except for, to have lane closures because it will be involved excavations. So they'll be digging up the existing road. So obviously you cannot have two lanes on. Um, if, you, if you're digging up the existing road, you cannot have mm-hmm. two lanes of traffic. So as I said, uh, it will be necessary work. There will be some delays, but it's part of the the the, the, the vital work uh, to get the, the bypass uh, completed. And I think, you know, this time of year is preferable to do this work than, um, you know, April, May, um, when you're into, um, you know, exam season and leaving certain junior certain and um, university exams and uh, in, increase in tourism and everything else like that it's better to do this work now when it's a quieter time of year um, rather than causing delays later in the year so and uh, so there is no roundabout on the Clyde Road the N59 so they have to create that so to create that they have to divert the traffic coming out of Galway onto the the new road for want of a better word uh, to create the roundabout that they need to link the two of them up am I, am I making sense no, the, the, the roundabout is the roundabout is effectively made except for the tarring. So that that tarring. Well, that's off the N fifty nine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's off the N fifty nine. So then that link road that's linking back into my column has to be tied into the existing N fifty nine. So there'll be it's that it's that tie in that'll that'll involve lane closures. So they'll have to basically joining two roads together. Um, and that will involve some, um, as I said, excavation, um, some delays. You're, you're, you're cutting out the existing road to link in the new uh, section and joining up the tarmac Academy, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's, it's, um, it's, 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 it's going to cause delays, and they will, they're yeah. absolutely necessary to, 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 to close the lanes to allow that work to take place. That'd be some fun, I'll tell you. Maybe if you mounted a camera there, you'd have some bit of fun. You could be putting them up on TikTok. I'd say there'll be some crack with fellas coming in with tractors and silage and other bits and pieces and tourists coming out of Galway. Yeah. So just well, give yourself extra time yeah. if you're going through. My yeah, give 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 extra time and just um, you know be 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 mindful that it's it's uh, going to take place if you're planning journeys. Um, as I said, from next week um, or so that they, they aim to do this work. Um, I, I, as I said, it is absolutely vital, and you know it's it's there's no there's no shortcuts. You cannot you cannot wake up one morning and have this done. It has to be created. It has to be um, it has to be involve machinery and and, and okay. enclosures and all that so it's absolutely necessary this work we don't and just be mindful and i've also asked the contractors to um put up signage at the cluniff road to to indicate that, that should be for only local access only oh, um, Lord, yeah. uh, you know to to to, to um uh, to stop the use of that as a rash run and that well and it will be used as a rash run by some let you goes. but anyway thank you for joining us uh, today that's Senator Sean Kine joining us there uh, on the programme now yet to come on today's programme by the way uh, we've quite a bit to come but we have a story that came to us over the weekend in relation to 
uh, animal abuse. And it wouldn't do you any good at all to see what happened. But anyway, we're going to go to it and we're not going to we're not going to sugarcoat it at all. So if you're for the faint hearted, um just 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 stay with us. We'll be we'll be discreet and we'll be we'll be as nice as we can about it, but anyway, it's just shocking. Also we're looking at new initiatives uh, launched by Oscar Nigalua uh, and Galio Legelga to promote the Irish city. Irish language uh, being used in the city, which is absolutely wonderful as well. So stay tuned for that. And more to come between now and the end of today's programme. Now, though, let's head towards the Goldweb FM news desk uh, for the 10 o'clock news. And we're back with that story just after news. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. 